0: So we're gonna we're gonna continue uh, working our way through the book of uh, Romans. Actually, this week we're gonna we're gonna look we're gonna read the same text or at least part of the same text. We're gonna read uh, chapter eight, beginning in verse one. We're gonna actually read through verse seventeen uh, today. Emphasize a little bit more of the latter part of that chapter. Recently, we've been hearing from Paul about our new life in Christ, especially about our new relation to sin and the law. We've, uh, we've been reminded about our true identity, an identity that's given to us. Because of the completed work of Christ. Not one that that we need to aspire to, but one that actually is given to us by God's grace. An identity that, that means we're dead to sin. That sin actually has no rightful claim upon us. And with the law, as our guiding friend rather than our ruthless master. Why? Because we are united with Christ who died for us, paying off sin and death for us, and satisfying the requirements of the law once and for all. But still, we, like Paul before us, apparently struggle. We struggle with sin. We struggle to live into our true identity and out of the opportunistic deceptions of evil. A couple weeks ago, I concluded with what, for me, has been an important insight. Even the reality of this struggle plays a positive role in God's sovereign goodness toward us. It helps us realize that Christ's sacrifice wasn't intended merely to make us better people, though it does, independent of him, but to make us his people realizing our continuing need for him and growing in his love. Last week, uh, Chris Rhodes, thank you very much, Chris, looked at the beginning of chapter 8 and drove home the point that in Christ we live in freedom from God's condemnation. I took this to heart, but still, when I went home, I threw out all of my gum Those of you who were here last week, see, you got to remember sermons. He shared with us that his grandmother wrote him letters telling him that he shouldn't be chewing gum, among other things. So, uh, sorry that that fell on deaf ears. I will not do that in the second service. (laughs) People don't remember the gum reference, apparently. Which is probably a good thing, right? Yeah. Today, we move forward... Desperately trying to forget that failed bit of humor. <laughs> we move forward in this thought as Paul speaks about the new life that comes by the power of the good news of Jesus. New life in Christ in relation to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned In the book of Romans, well, five times in chapters 1 through 7. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned uh, eight times in chapters 9 through 16. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned 21 times in Romans chapter 8. More times than in any other chapter in the whole Bible. The Holy Spirit, pneuma in Greek. Jesus had promised his disciples that he would send his spirit for them when his work on earth was completed and he returned to his father in heaven. We can read about this in John chapter 16. Let me share with you verse 7. Jesus speaking, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And this capital C counselor is the Holy Spirit. Paul affirms the truth of Jesus' promise. And he says further that new life in Christ. Made possible by his death. And filled with the power of his resurrection. Is life in the spirit. This is the truth we want to see more clearly together. As we explore Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 17 today. Hear the word of God. Romans 8, 1 and following. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a very full section of your word. And I pray that you would help us to to absorb what you want us to absorb here today. That we would know and affirm what you have for us to know and affirm. That we might truly be and walk as your children. I pray this in your name and for your sake. Amen. Are you, are you hearing the, the little little teeny feedback thing that is going One of the microphones is, is, uh, is giving us a little feedback. If you can turn everything down except me, maybe that will help. If it's me, sorry, it's just gonna continue. Thank you. Okay, check one, two. Okay, I'm not hearing it anymore, so I think we're okay. Thank you. New life in Christ means life in the Holy Spirit of God for everyone who accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is an amazing truth for us to look to, cooperate with, grow by, and revel in. This truth, though, is difficult for us to come to terms with because life in the Spirit is utterly different than our experience of life in the world. And if you're filling in the blanks in your sermon outline, different is the first word. Let me, let me offer an example using the IRS. Uh, the IRS, shall we? Just a few uh, weekends ago, I was working on taxes. Imagine if there was a spirit of the IRS. What would it be like? A mysterious power that would coerce you to do things you didn't want to do. A watchdog always at your side, barking if you ever received something you weren't going to claim. Biting if you ever forgot to carry a one or add a penalty a force that would seize control of your will so it could seize control of your assets. You'd want to stay as far away from that spirit as possible. But what if, well, what should paying taxes ideally be about? We step back. Well, it's about being a good American, affirming our citizenship. Supporting with our fair share the abundance of services and privileges we enjoy. Expressing our appreciation for the blessings we enjoy. What if there was a spirit of the IRS that was good and beautiful and made life better? What if this spirit started by reminding us that we owed nothing, that it had all been paid for for us? What would people do? Stop paying? Keep their hard-earned money? Let somebody else pay for the roads and the soldiers and all those nice government officials? What if this spirit of the IRS, though, went on to encourage us to do our parts, to give of ourselves and our resources because we are Americans, because we are good citizens, and because it is right to be gratefully supportive of the common good? So we now have the opportunity to make generous gifts where once there were coerced payments. Now maybe people would hire accountants not to help them find ways of avoiding taxes, but instead to help them give as much as possible, but without being irresponsible to their other financial obligations. What if this spirit was always at our side, actually inside our souls, not only reminding us, but actually empowering us to meet our rightful duties as free citizens of a democratic nation? What if this IRS spirit helped us toward joyful participation in the American way, one nation under God and his agent for liberty and justice for all the peoples of the earth? We'd want everyone to have this spirit of the IRS, wouldn't we? But not so they would do what we thought they should do. No, so things would be... Not not so things would be fair from our point of view. No, we'd want them to know the same joy and freedom we had discovered. Oh, friends... Is there anything better than paying a whole bunch of taxes you don't really owe? Can you imagine such a spirit of the IRS? Me neither. It is contrary to all of our natural inclinations. To be effective, such a spirit would have to be awesomely powerful. And if there was such a spirit... We wouldn't even need the IRS. The ministry of the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in each and every follower of Jesus Christ is like this. But this is so foreign to our natural sinful bent and to the ways of the world. What do people imagine when they think of the Holy Spirit? A coercive force, ready to take over your mind and your body and make you do strange things to prove that it lives in you? A watchdog waiting for you to step out of line? No wonder this ministry of the Holy Spirit is so hard for us to look to and to cooperate with and to grow by and to revel in. Life in the spirit is not an option for some Christians. It is a defining reality for all believers. Verse 9 that we just read in chapter 8 of Romans. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ... He does not belong to Christ. If we are followers of Jesus, if we have put our faith in him, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. There is no category of Christian that is truly non-Spirit filled. The question then is not for anyone, do you have the Holy Spirit? It is always, do you believe in Jesus Christ? No one has the Holy Spirit apart from Jesus Christ. No one trusts in Jesus without also receiving, whether by clear manifestation or quiet arrival, the Holy Spirit. So what? Well, I think this realization helps us with some common errors regarding the Holy Spirit. First, we don't have to prove that we have the Holy Spirit. There is no essential merit in manifesting signs and wonders to demonstrate that God is with us. We don't need to speak in tongues, work a miracle, predict the future, or do any other supernatural thing to validate our place in Christ and the Holy Spirit's place in us. Do you believe in Jesus? You have the Holy Spirit within you. If you would like to know the Spirit's presence in your midst more clearly my suggestion is that we is that we seek and follow Jesus more nearly second we don't have to get the Holy Spirit in order to become a Christian instead we simply become Christians by responding to God and receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior then The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And according to Romans 8, it always works this way. Third, we mustn't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. It is awesomely powerful to overcome our natural inclinations but it is consistently and contagiously good its work is always for our ultimate welfare and eternal prosperity finally and this is a good word for Presbyterians we mustn't forget about the Holy Spirit and this I think we tend to do maybe out of fear Maybe because of ignorance, maybe because we have seen the abuses or misunderstood the actions of other Christians, but new life in Christ means life in the Holy Spirit of God for everyone who accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This is an amazing truth for us to look to, cooperate with, grow by, and revel in. What does life in the spirit mean? Well, first of all, according to what we read in Romans chapter 8, life in the spirit means living a condemnation-free life. This is what Chris especially helped us with last week. I wouldn't recommend that the spirit of the IRS begin by telling me that I owe no taxes. If I did... If, if it did, I probably wouldn't pay. Would you? Yet this is where the Holy Spirit begins with us. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. If you can hear this and believe it, you can believe this also. The Holy Spirit is at work in you and for you. What does the Spirit do? It points us to Jesus. It reminds us continually of who He is and what He has done for us. Jesus told us His Spirit would do this. John chapter 14, verse 25 and following... Jesus speaking again, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Then life in the Spirit means living a law-fulfilling life after telling us we are free from any condemnation that would come because of our transgressions against God and his righteous but powerless law, the Spirit then sets about to make us into the kind of people who will live law-abiding and God-honoring lives. Verses 3 and 4. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Let me read that again. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the sinful nature. But according to the spirit. Then, life in the spirit means living a promise showing life. Romans eight eleven. So I'll start in verse ten. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin; yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The promise of Jesus' resurrection is seen in our lives because of the spirit's presence. There is an observable difference in those whose spirits are alive with God's spirit. This is a here and now difference and not merely a heaven when we die difference because it involves our mortal bodies. The spirit of God subdues our flesh by redirecting our minds, giving us new patterns of thought and so leading us into new habits of behavior. Honestly, I find it interesting that this is something that Danielle emphasized in her I am not ashamed of the gospel testimony. I didn't put her up to it. I didn't help her write that. That was all her. But it it fits so beautifully in what God is saying to us through this scripture. For me, it's another one of those goosebump fingerprints of God sort of moments. That God had a message that he wants us to hear today. And he's reinforcing it. The Spirit of God subdues our flesh by redirecting our minds, giving us new patterns of thought, and so leading us into new habits of behavior. Verse 5, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what, that, on what the, uh, that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The Spirit doesn't simply give us strength to just say no. No. To the things that are ugly and wrong in us and in the world. It gives us a whole world of beautiful things to say yes to. So the spirit is mind expanding, body altering, and performance enhancing. And so far it hasn't been banned by Major League Baseball or anybody else. But it is being tested for by everybody who interacts with us. And for heaven's sake, may we be found guilty of its life-giving effects. And then, life in the Spirit means a family-privileged life. It's not fair. People with the Spirit in them, which is everybody who belongs to God the Father through Christ the Son... Receive special treatment. Once, when my daughter Jenny... Sorry, I didn't ask your permission. Can I tell a story about you? Okay, great. I have permission now. Once, when my daughter Jenny was a tiny little seven-year-old, she fixed our clogged toilet... By reaching in with her little right arm, which was just the right size and small enough to do it, mine wouldn't work without breaking my arm in places it wasn't supposed to be broken. She was able to reach in with her little right arm way down and with her tiny little fingertips was able to pull the little plastic toy that a guest's toddler had flushed down there And it just blocked everything up. She was able to reach down in that toilet. Which, by the way, I tried to get her brothers to do it. (laughs) Yuck, I'm not doing it. Yeah, well, yes, it was clean, but it's still a toilet. They weren't going to do it. So she reached down there, she grabbed a hold of that little toy, and with her little tiny fingers was able to get a hold of it and Pull it out! I hugged her and I kissed her. We danced around the bathroom together in our bathing suits. (laughs) Yay, Jenny! Yay, Jenny! I took her to McDonald's for a two person celebration. I don't know if you remember, but I do. And I still tell the story of her heroism to this very day, like today. (laughs) Sometime later, a mechanic came to our house to fix our washing machine. No hugs, no kisses when he was done. I paid him and I thanked him and off he went. He had to buy his own Big Mac. I don't even remember his name. Seems unfair, doesn't it? There is a difference between people who work for us and people who belong to us. We may work for God. In fact, that's a very good thing for us to do. But that is not who we are. We are people who belong to God. Hugs, kisses, dancing. We are in his family. Verse 14. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What does this mean? Fortune and glory and adventure and something better. Fortune and glory, verse 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Heirs of God, heirs of God have quite an inheritance coming. Co heirs with Christ have nothing less than the glory of heaven to share with their eternal elder brother. Adventure. Sharing in Christ's sufferings. Don't expect all those tax paying sinners out there, all those governments and their officials, to applaud and support your countercultural agenda as a Christian. Ultimately, we are going to be treated unfairly, like family members should be, by God, forever. Yea. But first, for a while, we're going to be treated unfairly, like Jesus was by the world. This is an adventure. There is no holy spirit. Of the IRS, or of the IRA, or of UNR, or of CBS, or of the PCUSA, or of the EPC. There is only the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And sometimes the kingdoms will conflict. What an adventure! And you don't have to ask to be a part of it. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you're in it. And if you believe in Jesus, with the measure of faith that God has given you, you've got the Holy Spirit. The real truth of the gospel is not welcome in many places in the city of Reno. Believe it. And those are the places it most needs to be shared. Believe it. What an adventure. And it's our adventure. Believe it. A family privileged life means fortune and glory and adventure. But it also means something better verse 15 for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear but you received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry Abba father do you know about that that name that word Abba Jesus taught people to pray that way Abba father beginning of the Lord's Prayer? It's baby talk. Our translation into English would be Dada. It is a name of absolute ultimate intimacy. Dada. Dada. And that's the name that we are instructed to call our heavenly father, the eternal creator of all that is by. How do we know this? Well, we have God's word and we have the spirit that testifies with our spirit. So, if you knew God's spirit was with you, the very presence and the very power of God, what would you do? You and the Spirit must set about answering that question. This is new life in Christ. This is life in the Spirit. And if you have put your trust in Christ, it has begun. Look to the Spirit's holy presence to guide and inspire you and to give you the courage you need for the adventure ahead. Cooperate with the Spirit's guiding holy wisdom. It will always be consistent with God's word. It will usually be be inconsistent with the pressures of the world. It will often be inconsistent with our own patterns of comfortable behavior. Grow by the Spirit's gentle, holy power directing you into all truth and goodness. God's word, Christian fellowship, acts of kindness. Revel in the Spirit's holy ministry, pointing to Jesus and glorifying God the Father. If you have not put your trust in Christ you need not wait any longer to know yourself to be part of God's family and so to have his Holy Spirit in you. I would just conclude um, we, we do this every once in a while not often it's not a regular part of who we are here but if there's anybody here who has never had an opportunity in any kind of a public setting to, to make a public proclamation of faith in Jesus Christ. If there's anybody who's, who's not sure, I'm not sure if I have the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if I really have, have put my trust in Jesus. I, I'd love to have some, something that would that would help me to, to, to lock that in, to, to, to say yes in a meaningful way. Um, I would like to provide that opportunity for you right here. Um, if, you, if you would be willing to come up and just say, yep, I, I, I want to say yes to Jesus. I do say yes to Jesus. And just give me the opportunity to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to do a dance on the altar or anything. We'll save that for later. Um, actually, we don't have an altar. We just have a communion table. But um, if there's anybody that would like to do that. And again, I would say to our congregation, if, if nobody comes forward, don't be embarrassed for me. It's like, oh, nice try, Jay. This is not about me at all. It's not about, it's not about our church. It, it's about each of us. And again, this is, this is an opportunity. I, I just feel led by God to provide. If there's anybody who would like to come up and say, I'd love to just stand next to you. I don't, I don't want to make a speech or anything, but just tell you my name and, and let you pray for me um, as, as I say yes to Jesus in this setting. Um, if anybody would like to do that, come and join me. And if not, I'm just going to close in prayer. And I would invite you to pray That more people who have not yet put their trust in Jesus Christ will come under your influence in a way where you can share with them in a meaningful way. And that's probably the best thing. And or would find their way to covenant where they can hear the gospel and have an opportunity in relationship to folks like us um, to respond and to say yes to Jesus Christ and to move from death to life according to God's will and in response to his eternal call upon them let's pray heavenly father we thank you for today we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you and to affirm together I hope and I pray that you are with us and that your spirit is in us because we have put our trust in you sometimes we may have an acute sense of that presence of your spirit much of the time perhaps we don't but that doesn't make it any more or less true in either of those cases Lord I pray that you would help us to know that that we have your instruction your word but we also have your presence by your spirit in each one of us helping and guiding and we are called simply to cooperate with the nudgings and the inspirations that you give us supernaturally through your Holy Spirit. Even as we get to know you better and learn of you through the things that you have revealed to us through the apostles and prophets and through your son Jesus Christ that we have in your word. Lord, thank you for your ministry to us and through us, for us. help us. We pray this in your name and for your sake. Amen. Amen.